0: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, WWE released Bray Wyatt. I think it's time that we talk about the full character arc of Bray Wyatt. This is Not Sam Wrestling.
1: This is Not Sam Wrestling.
0: Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Hey, how's it going everybody? Hope everybody's good. Welcome to, what is this, episode 354 or so of Not Sam Wrestling with a lot to talk about today. Uh, Thanks for everybody that's been on board. Thank you for everybody that has signed up recently to the Patreon, patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling, where you can get a bonus podcast every single week, every Thursday, or this week it was Friday, but every week we do a bonus podcast. Lots of topical stuff on that bonus podcast. We did a... Zoom hangout for the upper-tier Patreon members uh, before I recorded the show today. Uh, Every podcast comes out early. Every podcast comes out ad-free. All the videos are there early. So if you're into anything like that, sign up at patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. I say that at the top of the show because I feel like this is going to be a busy one. So, uh, I mean, earth-shattering news in the wrestling earth broke on Friday, end-of-the-week news that uh, Bray Wyatt released from the WWE. It wasn't even, and it's it's a really weird one, man. It wasn't a, a a wave of releases that included Bray Wyatt. It was one talent release, and it was Bray Wyatt. Nobody really knows why. There's a ton of theories out there. All we've known, uh, as far as the official word goes, or what I have read as the official word, is that it was a budget thing. I don't do anybody's budget. I don't know how much he costs. I don't know how much he was making. It seems like he was making a ton of cash. I bought a whole bunch of fiend toys. I know a whole bunch of people that have fiend masks. I got a couple of Bray Wyatt t-shirts. Feels like he was making cash, but I don't know how much he cost. I don't know anything about budgets. Um, I don't know anything about why any of these decisions get made. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm a fan. Like, you're probably a fan if you're listening to this. And if you're a fan of wrestling... How can you not be a fan of Wyndham Rotunda, the man who played and created Bray Wyatt? Now, look, a hundred things could happen. Honestly, by the time you're listening to this, Bray Wyatt could sign a new deal with WWE. Bray Wyatt could end up in NXT. Bray Wyatt could, uh, I mean, obviously he could sign with AEW or Ring of Honor or Impact or one of the other companies, New Japan. He could sign a a, a different deal with WWE after his non-compete runs out. I don't know. There's a a million things that could happen. So I'm not even going to pretend to know that far. I'll tell you this. If you've got a brain that works that good for wrestling, you're probably not done using your brain for wrestling. If you've got a body that works that good for wrestling, you're probably not done using your body for wrestling. And I know, uh, speaking from my own experience and the experience of the fans that I surround myself with, I don't think that the appetite for what Bray Wyatt and the man who created Bray Wyatt uh, has to contribute to the wrestling industry. I don't think that that appetite has been satiated, not yet by a long shot. I mean, when you look at the Bray Wyatt character, it's like, there's so many instances of, oh, if only, if only, if only. I mean, even the most critical among us who were critical of the stuff that Bray Wyatt is doing, I've seldom read comments that were critical about the performer, more the direction that the character was going in, which can be attributed to any number of people. Again, we honestly don't know where to attribute any of these individual decisions to. That's something that happens deep inside. I've been in the building when creative decisions get made, and I don't know who to attribute those creative decisions to. So, instead of going uh, and wildly speculating, why did this happen? How did this happen? Who decided for this to happen? What will happen next? Wyatt hasn't said anything on his Twitter account. So instead, I wanted to talk about what people are talking about broadly, and that's the character work of Bray Wyatt. This, to me, is why Bray Wyatt is such an important contributor to the industry, such an important contributor to any company that he is a part of, and such an important part of WWE. To me, and I think, if you're being honest, everybody, the most important part about wrestling is the storytelling. You need to have good matches. You need to have good athletes. You need to have a lot of stuff. But the number one thing in wrestling is good storytelling. And personally, I believe that the number one thing that you need to tell good stories is good characters. And that's why the people that create these amazing characters have their own place on their own Mount Rushmore. That's why there's everybody else, and there's The Undertaker, because it's this character. That's why Ric Flair works so far across the board because even the people that aren't sitting there appreciating the great in-ring work of every single competitor, the Ric Flair character is something they are attached to. That's why Mick Foley deserves so much respect in my opinion. Mick Foley is one of those great character artists who whether it was Cactus Jack or Mankind, I mean, Dude Love was fun, but even Dude Love had great character moments when he was able to turn Dude Love heel and go corporate. Mick Foley is absolutely one of these great character guys. The Rock, you believe that character. Austin, you believe that character. Down the list. But people who create these amazing characters, and I'm far more amazed by people like The Undertaker and Mick Foley, who create these over-the-top, larger-than-life cartoon characters, that if anybody else were portraying them, would be the pits. But because these people are portraying them, they're iconic. Anybody else doing The Undertaker, garbage. Anybody else doing Mankind, awful. Dustin Rhodes, anybody else doing Goldust, terrible. But when these people do it, it's it's a thing of beauty. And that is what Wyndham has brought, and who knows, may continue to bring, but that's what Wyndham has brought to the Bray Wyatt character. So today, I want to go in depth and talk about the character arc of Bray Wyatt to me when you're talking about the character of Bray Wyatt because yes you can go back as far as uh Husky Harris coming into uh NXT if you want to talk about the performer if you want to talk about Wyndham showing up on WWE TV then yes you would start pretty much with Husky Harris on NXT the game show version on sci-fi going into uh you know the new Nexus and all that stuff but that's not Bray Wyatt And there are references to Husky, but that comes later on. You know, we don't acknowledge Husky Harris as part of Bray Wyatt's past until we are very deep into the Bray Wyatt character. For me, canon, when we're talking strictly about canon, Bray Wyatt starts when the Wyatt family got to the main roster. And you could argue that Bray Wyatt starts at NXT, but I believe that the way the stories were told There were, I mean, nowadays, people go, well, there's not that many people watching NXT, so the stories start on Raw. Which, I mean, you still got 700,000 people watching NXT television every week, plus whoever's watching on the network, plus whoever watches TakeOver, plus, like, there's an awareness. NXT has action figures now, for God's sake. Back then, you had nobody watching NXT. Nobody. It was the very beginning of NXT. The Wyatt family were one of the first NXT uh, creations. So for me, the canon of Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family starts in May of 2013 when they get to WWE. But let's listen, just because it really adds to the Bray Wyatt character. This is, to me, the setup to the Bray Wyatt character. This is the introduction before chapter one. This is when Bray and the Wyatt family are on NXT television and uh, they know they're going to the main roster. This is what they told the audience. And again, this is just for NXT. This is the people that know. There are several
1: different types of men in this world. There are men who dream and never make it off their couch. There are men who dream and fail. And then, there are men who dream and change the landscape of this world. People like Bray Wyatt. But what about you, man? That's what I wanna know. Aren't you tired of feeling unwanted? Aren't you tired of feeling like an outcast or being stepped upon? Well then, today is your day. Because today is the day that Bray Wyatt decided he was going to change everything. Today is the day that hell froze. Today is the day that pigs fly. Today, me and my people looked at fear right in the eye and we said, Mr. Fear, sir, you are a liar. Today, I want you to go and I want you to tell all these so-called world leaders that they better heed my warning. Take notice to Bray Wyatt. Because today is the day that Bray Wyatt decided to Bring down the machine. Bring it down. 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 Bring it Bring it Today we say goodbye to an XT. For now. But if you need me, I ain't hard to find. All you gotta do is go look up in the sky and follow the (laughs) buzzards. Oh, wait, 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 one more thing. Time is over.
0: So that's the energy that Bray Wyatt takes with him out of NXT as he shows up on the main roster. Now, of course, time is on my side, would be replaced with. He's got the whole world in his hands. But in May of 2013 is when those vignettes started to air. And vignettes started to air on WWE TV that introduced Bray Wyatt, Luke Harper, and Eric Rowan. As the Wyatt family, you saw them on the Wyatt family uh, compound. You would assume somewhere maybe in the bayou. Not quite sure what to make of these guys. You know, Bray coming out in this floral shirt. You had the monstrous-looking Luke Harper. You had Rowan with the big beard, and he's this giant, but he's got the lamb mask covering his face. And And they just start to build this buzz. This buzz starts to build about what the Wyatt family is going to do in the WWE. A month after the vignettes start airing, they appear on Raw for the first time and they attack Kane. Kane is the very first victim of the Wyatt family on the main roster. Interestingly enough, right after the attack happens and Bray Wyatt is looking out to the audience, they, they do there are chants of Husky Harris that are chanted at Bray. They last a week. People are so taken with Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family as characters that they realize that that's unnecessary. That, they, that, that none of that matters anymore. Husky Harris is dead right after that first introductory segment with the Wyatt family. The Wyatts would attack superstars across the roster, but make it clear that Kane was their target the first time. Kane would disappear for a little while after that first Wyatt's attack. Bray, of course, repeating that phrase that he left NXT with, follow the buzzards. Uh, There were also, uh, from the beginning, references to Sister Abigail, who was some kind of prophetic being, Sister Abigail, whose messages the, fueled Bray, whose, whose, whose messages were the messages that, that drove Bray to do what he did and to pick the targets that he did. The entrance was distinct, appearing first on the Tron, blowing out the lantern only to reappear in the entranceway. Of course, this first version of the Wyatts was not supernatural so much, more eerie and cult-like. Basically, the type of people that you worry about running into on the side of the road on like a a desolate, unfamiliar area of the country. When we look at Bray Wyatt, we can see he was clearly influenced by former WWE character Waylon Mercy in his appearance and in the tonality, in his cadence. Uh, And of course, Waylon Mercy was so influenced by Max Cady, the character in Martin Scorsese's Cape Fear. But something that's important about Bray Wyatt is it's not just Max Cady. And there's actually less Max Cady. There's Max Cady in appearance and tonality. But really the spirit of Bray Wyatt, there's a lot of Charles Manson in there. A lot of Manson in the way he kind of goes rambling, in the way that you're not sure what he's talking about, but there's something so charismatic about him that you stay with him. And then he ties it up at the end that makes you go, oh, something about it that makes you want to follow him. Something about the way he's talking that has people like Luke Harper and Eric Rowan following him blindly. That these two men, fully capable of existing on their own, will follow whatever order Bray Wyatt has them do. He has convinced them, mind, body, and soul, that he is their leader and he is to be followed. That he himself is a prophet, which is exactly what Manson did. Bray claims that uh, every man has to go through hell to get to paradise. And that's what he creates for Kane. Bray's very first match on the main roster at all is a match against Kane at SummerSlam. It's a ring of fire match. Now, this is an important distinction. A lot of people remember it, and they go, oh, the Inferno match. Not an Inferno match. A ring of fire match is designed. Basically, Kane goes, hey, I know what you guys are up to. I was born at night, but not last night. I've seen this a 1,000 times. I need something that is going to keep the Wyatt family out of the ring. And I'm super familiar with fire. I don't know if you know about my backstory. I burned my parents. I'm good with fire. So let's surround the ring with fire. That way, Luke Harper and Eric Rowan can't get in the ring. But it is still a pinfall submission match. Kane is, of course, a force to be reckoned with. And Bray is in there without help. However, as the match progresses, Harper and Rowan are able to take the flame retardant uh, mats, the, the, the throws, the blankets, and put out one side of the ring that enables them to slide in since it's a ring of fire match there's no disqualification no count out they interfere and with their help bray in his very first match in the WWE beats kane a legend in a fire match huge start to the career of of uh, and, and, and the career of this character Towards the end of 2013, Bray found himself in a rivalry with Daniel Bryan. Wyatt was trying to recruit Bryan, but Bryan fought Wyatt's urges. Wyatt wanted Daniel Bryan to be part of the Wyatt family. It wasn't until Bryan lost a handicap match to the trio, and then, after beating Eric Rowan and Luke Harper in a gauntlet match to get a singles match with Wyatt, he still lost the match to Wyatt because of help from Rowan and Harper, that he decided to join the Wyatt family. He said, you're, you're right. Brian said the reason that he has not been able to defeat Bray Wyatt, it's, not, it's the machine. The machine won't allow him. This is really interesting, because this is before the WrestleMania 30 bill. This is before the B-plus player stuff. This is before any of that. And Bray Wyatt is here saying, the machine is what's holding you back, Daniel Bryan. You can come with me and the machine won't hold you back anymore. And that's exactly what Daniel Bryan does. He dons a gas station attendant suit and Daniel Bryan joins the Wyatt family. So now it's, it's, it's Bray Wyatt, it's Luke Harper, it's Eric Rowan, it's Daniel Bryan. And they do a series of multi-person tag matches over the course of a couple weeks. Uh, and the Wyatt family is not successful. And Bray takes this out on Daniel Bryan. Bray basically blames Bryan not only for the Wyatts losing, but also still wants to to beat loyalty into Daniel Bryan. He's he's treating Daniel Bryan like an an abusive dog owner who wants to create a dependency. He He wants to hurt Bryan so that he can help Daniel Bryan. And this is a trap that Daniel Bryan is slowly falling into. And the fans are worried about it until he's part of a cage match. And Bryan finally is pushed one iota too far. And he takes off that gas station attendance outfit and he removes himself from the Wyatt family mid match, takes out Bray Wyatt, and says, Yes, 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 at the top of that steel cage. The match is signed at that point. We're going to the Royal Rumble. It's Bray Wyatt versus. It's 2014 Royal Rumble. It's the opening match of the night. Bray beats Daniel Bryan, and it really does, in that moment, look like Bray Wyatt is the future of the WWE. This is an even more significant win because there's so much that you're dealing with here. Not only was the match so good that even through losing, fans gained more respect for Daniel Bryan, but the fact that the match was so good and the fact that Brian lost led to fans in attendance wanting Daniel Bryan to be in the Royal Rumble match even more, which again led to what we got going into WrestleMania 30. This completely, this match added 100% to people being pissed about Daniel Bryan. furthermore, Bray Wyatt wins this match. And now that he has conquered Daniel Bryan, In the Wyatt family or not in the Wyatt family. Bray Wyatt has now conquered Kane. He's conquered Daniel Bryan. He interferes. And he costs John Cena. The WWE Championship. Months into his time in the WWE. Bray Wyatt has cost John Cena the WWE Championship. In a match against Randy Orton. And the Wyatts attacked the leader of the C-Nation after the match. Before WrestleMania which we're going to get to. We start doing qualifiers for the Elimination Chamber match. Um, And The Shield has a match against John Cena and, and two other superstars. The Wyatts interfere in the match. They jump John Cena and his partners, cause The Shield to get disqualified. And even though it wasn't about screwing over The Shield, now The Shield is making it about screwing over The Shield. This is the one moment that we see that feels like, okay, you know, we talk about Bray Wyatt feeling like the future of the WWE. This, this is the new generation completely coming forward. Before WrestleMania, we get to a classic six-man tag match. The Shield versus the Wyatts at the Elimination Chamber. We have a, a, a couple of instances on Raw where we have just an amazing staring. You can look it up on YouTube. There's an amazing stare down for the first time. The Shield is leaving, and this is when they left through the crowd but the Wyatt's family music comes on. The Wyatt family walks to the ring. The shield turns around and starts walking back toward the ring. And they have this stare down where the Wyatts are on one side and the shield are on the opposite side of the ring. And you're sitting there looking at it going, this is everything. There's this clear thought that Rollins, Roman, and Ambrose versus Wyatt, Harper, and Rowan is a look at what the next generation of the industry is going to look like, and it's a total juxtaposition, right? It's a group of modern era badass dudes facing classic WWE characters that have this modern twist. I mean, you as much as you believe Bray Wyatt and the Wyatt family, they're so deep into character that it's like something from another generation, whereas the Shield feels very much of this time. So after the, after the dream six-man tag match, Bray and the Wyatt family set out to prove that the hero of the WWE universe, uh, that everybody had come to know, everybody had come to follow, which really bothers Bray. John Cena was anything but a hero. Uh, they, they, they try to prove to everybody that he's a facade, a liar, and that hustle, loyalty, respect is really only about vanity and John Cena's narcissism. The Eater of Worlds, Bray Wyatt, is looking to prove that these truths, he's looking to prove these truths by defeating John Cena at WrestleMania and destroying John Cena's legacy. This John Cena match is the first time we get this thing, that Bray wants to tear down a hero, expose him for what he really is, and destroy his legacy. When you look at WrestleMania 30, there was a feeling going into it. You've got your unforgettable entrance of Bray's theme being performed live. An incredible, look it up, an incredible promo package explaining the story of John Cena versus Bray Wyatt before the match. It led to a feeling that this could be the moment that Bray really does change the world. Beating John Cena on that stage, especially at WrestleMania 30. The year before WrestleMania 29, John Cena beat The Rock. So the fact that it's John Cena versus Bray Wyatt already has Bray Wyatt on a pedestal. When you're sitting there going, this guy's been in WWE significantly less than a year. And we're watching this going, it's very realistic that Bray Wyatt could have the kind of rocket strap to him where he's going to beat John Cena. Of course, it was not meant to be. Cena was able to defeat Bray uh, in a moment that cost Bray his opportunity to truly be something untouchable. And while this was a hard blow to Bray, it was something that we would get to revisit six years later. Right after WrestleMania, Bray was not done with Cena. He continued this rivalry, now attempting to steal what had defined John Cena, right? So WrestleMania is about exposing John Cena as a liar. Post-WrestleMania is about taking from John Cena what he holds most dear. And that's the C-Nation. It's about taking his fan base away. On the way to extreme rules, a full children's choir interrupted a John Cena promo to sing he's got the whole world in his hands. And just as they were singing, they put on Rowan-esque lamb masks just to look at John. And as he's laughing at John Cena in his now patented rocking chair, holding one of the lamb mass children on his knee, Bray Wyatt is officially in John Cena's head. John is sitting there wondering if there's anything he can do to protect his fan base and to protect the general public from this dangerous message of destruction that Bray Wyatt is so gleefully sending to them. And if you look at all these kids wearing lamb masks that they appear to be accepting. John goes to extreme rules. It's a cage match against Bray Wyatt. John Cena loses the cage match to Bray Wyatt. Harper interferes, Rowan interferes. It's not enough. John Cena's about to get out the door, but he stops when the lights go out and the lights come back on. And there's this like little eight-year-old looking boy who's singing, he's got the whole world in his hands into a microphone and has the most demonic voice you've ever heard in your life. It's as creepy as it gets. John Cena does not know what to make of it. He turns around, he finds Bray Wyatt, boom, drops him with that sister, Abigail. In a last ditch effort to prove that John Cena was not the man that he claimed to be, Bray, wanted to go a step further. He wanted to to put down the challenge that John was not about always surviving. John was not about just get back up. In fact, he wanted to make sure that John couldn't get back up and he challenged him to a last man standing match. Of course, Bray was not successful in this match and John was indeed the last man standing after putting Bray through an equipment case via an attitude adjustment then stacking another equipment case on top of the equipment case that Bray was broken through so that Bray's escape was completely impossible. However, Bray was now able to move on from the whole Cena thing. And I'm telling you right now, some people, that was the first time. The stuff with the kids, some people loved it. Some people thought it was cheesy. That was the first time they were wondering if they'd gone too far, but I loved that stuff. I loved the choir. I loved the idea that John didn't know how to handle potentially losing his fan base. I loved that they used people that represented John's fan base. I thought it was great. After the Cena rivalry, it was Chris Jericho that made another surprise return to the WWE. Of course, this is like third or uh, probably the fourth time Chris Jericho had made a surprise return to the delight of WWE fans, but this time the Wyatt family was there to spoil it. They immediately upon Jericho's return, attacked him. To Bray, Chris Jericho was a false prophet, a man who once claimed he would save the WWE universe, a reference to Chris Jericho's Save Us campaign that led to his 2007 return, but as Bray said, he never did. He claimed he was going to be there to save the WWE universe, and he saved them from nothing. He referenced Chris Jericho's desire for the limelight, the adulation, that that's what had Jericho consistently coming back to the WWE. And Bray was there to put an end to all of it and to prove once and for all that Chris Jericho was indeed a fraud. Jericho is like, I don't know where all this is coming from. I came back to have a good time. I came back to have fun. But Jericho also said, you know, Bray had taught him something. Bray had taught him that it's not all about the Hey, how's it going, guys? It's not all about the -the over-the-top, fun, cartoony. It's not all about the light-up jackets. Sometimes it gets a lot darker than that. Sometimes it gets a lot more brutal than that. And Jericho, early on, picked up on that. He was able to win the first match against Bray Wyatt at Battleground, but the real story started unfolding between Battleground and SummerSlam, a year removed from Bray's first technical match in WWE and a match that Bray Wyatt would win. He beat Jericho, two SummerSlam's in a row. Bray Wyatt is successful. A couple of weeks after SummerSlam, maybe a week after SummerSlam, Jericho and Bray Wyatt have a cage match on Raw. Bray also wins that. So now he's up in this Chris Jericho rivalry. After beating Jericho, Bray, he was gone for a period of time. Vignette started running that announced he was setting Harper and Rowan free. Bray had taught Harper and Rowan what he could, and they were ready to enter the world on their own. Upon eventually returning, Bray was indeed riding solo with his sights set on Dean Ambrose. He cost Dean Ambrose a pay-per-view match against Seth Rollins and came back reestablishing himself full of hatred and resentment to the public at large. This version of Bray Wyatt was not about hey, follow me, I'll show you a better way, I'll show you a better way with that, like, hint of sinisterness. It was, I'm seething, my heart is full of hate, and I need to take that out on somebody. And I blame you, Dean Ambrose. His heart was full of hate towards Dean Ambrose because he wanted to save Dean Ambrose, he said. Bray wanted Dean to accept Bray's help, to allow Bray to do for Dean what Bray did for Harper and Rowan. Of course, Ambrose didn't think he needed any help whatsoever from Bray Wyatt. In fact, Dean Ambrose, being the lunatic fringe, didn't have the vulnerabilities that a lot of Bray's previous prey had. He didn't need support. He didn't have a moral code. He was a fairly decent guy that loved to fight and hated being disrespected. This was a new opponent for Bray Wyatt. It is hard to get into the head of somebody who is already a lunatic. We saw lots of great visuals from this rivalry. Dean Ambrose appearing from the back of that ambulance with the but just the lighting coming from the back of the ambulance and the and the neck brace on him and everything. It was a it, it was a perfect relationship if the desired outcome was chaos and brutality. Bray considered himself one who not only embraced his demons but controlled his demons and the demons of other people. Ambrose didn't go that deep. Ambrose worked off whatever demons fueled his impulses. Ambrose would go so far as to destroy the rocking chair that had become the trademark of Bray Wyatt. However, the rivalry would show itself through a series of pay-per-view and TV matches, mainly won by Bray Wyatt, the last being an ambulance match at the beginning of 2015. Now, as 2015 rolled in for Bray Wyatt uh Wyatt established himself as an individual instead of a cult leader, all right? Now we were starting to drift way more into the macabre. Bray began sending out coded messages talking to a person who had tragic who had tragedy happen to them. One that left Bray feeling pity for them instead of fear, talking about destroying the man whose hands created this world. The man that Bray Wyatt was talking about here was The Undertaker. Fans had compared Bray's character work to The Undertaker's, not just the darkness, but the level of commitment since Bray had first gotten to the WWE. Bray was referring to what had dismayed scores of Undertaker fans. The streak being ended at the previous year's WrestleMania by Brock Lesnar. This was Bray saying that the Undertaker as we knew him ceased to exist as the streak ceased to exist. And that Bray was prepared to take his spot as the dark entity that was WWE's supreme character. Bray was basically telling the world the Undertaker is done. What's become of The Undertaker is pathetic. And he was echoing a sentiment that existed with a certain section of wrestling fans. And this is something that Bray Wyatt just got better and better and better at. Taking these real-life feelings and transferring them into his character so that it made sense, so that these feelings that some in the wrestling fan world actually had could be put into a storyline without suspension of disbelief going away, which is a very difficult thing to do when you're talking about people that are so entrenched in characters as Bray Wyatt and The Undertaker are. Bray, of course, when he's talking about creating the world, he's talking about The Undertaker creating this ability to be this character, that if The Undertaker had not created this thing, that Bray Wyatt could not be that thing. But now... Now, The Undertaker wasn't that thing anymore. And Bray Wyatt was a thing so much more powerful. It was time for The Undertaker to step aside and like John Cena should have done a year earlier, allow Bray Wyatt to sit upon his throne. Bray would address The Undertaker directly coming out of a coffin at the Fastlane pay-per-view. A few weeks later, via video screen and just graphics, The Undertaker accepted the challenge and showed himself for the first time since losing the streak a year prior at WrestleMania 31. The first time anybody saw The Undertaker after losing to Brock Lesnar was when he entered the stadium to take on Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania. For the second year in a row, Bray felt like he was in a position to cement himself As a future, if not present-day icon, As as a character obsessed with destroying legacy, this could be one of the defining moments of his own legacy. It was, however, not meant to be, as The Undertaker defeated Bray Wyatt, maintaining The Undertaker's position. Later that year, Bray Wyatt stopped the former leader of the Shield, Roman Reigns, from winning the Money in the Bank ladder match. This goes back to that dream six-man tag that we talked about at the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view. This goes back to the Wyatts and the Shield. This goes back to that opposites thing that you saw and the fact that among all six, you saw the future of the industry. You just didn't know exactly how it was going to pan out. Bray is is, is tapped into that as he goes through with this part of his story. Bray saw Roman as the yin to his yang. Uh, uh, going back to both men coming into the WWE, both leading trifectas, both looked at as the future, but both who could not be more different from one another. Bray saw Roman as the chosen one and the antithesis to the future that Bray viewed himself as capable of delivering if he were the one to be the top man. If Bray couldn't have that position, then he could not see the Batman to his Joker destroying what he thought he was capable of creating, hence Bray Wyatt's entire psychology with this rivalry. Anyone but you, Roman, anyone but you. Wyatt was able to defeat Roman Reigns by bringing the past back to the present and reuniting with Luke Harper, who helped Bray. A month later, Roman saw the writing on the wall and knew it was time to dip into his own past. And team with former Shield teammate Dean Ambrose, with whom he defeated Wyatt and Harper at SummerSlam. And although Wyatt and Harper were defeated by Roman and Ambrose, it became pretty clear that all those feelings that we had only a few years earlier, watching these two three man tags facing each other, were absolutely true. We were watching the development of the next generation right in front of our eyes. And the opposites only continued to grow. They, they they expanded away from each other in terms of what these characters wanted their reign to look like. Bray realized at that point that if, you, if he was going to reform the Wyatt family, going into the past wouldn't be enough. He needed to look into the future. This is when Bray introduced for the very first time the largest member of the already gargantuan Wyatt family, the black sheep, Braun Strowman. First time anybody had seen Braun Strowman in a WWE ring. While ultimately the new Wyatt family joined as well by Eric Rowan again was not enough to defeat Roman as Reigns beat Bray in a Hell in a Cell uh, at that same pay-per-view the family reignited their feud with The Undertaker by carrying The Undertaker out after his match. Interestingly enough, The Undertaker's brother Kane, the man who was the first target of the Wyatt's, was also carried off by the Wyatt family a night later on Monday Night Raw. So while, yes, Roman is able to do what Roman is going to do, the Wyatt's have now zeroed in stronger than ever on the first opponent, that the Wyatts ever had, and on the man who Brace still felt owed him the throne, The Undertaker. The Brothers of Destruction Kane and The Undertaker would reunite, and they would defeat the Wyatt family once and for all. The Wyatts would continue to go after legacies, first, beating a team of ECW originals, then, at WrestleMania 32, confronting The Rock. Now, this can't go It's impossible to overstate this. Bray's promo at WrestleMania 32 was unbelievable. Looking right into The Rock's eyes and explaining how he sees all of The Rock's success as a lie. Explaining that the moment that was happening right before all of their eyes was not The Rock's moment. But instead, that moment was Bray Wyatt's moment. And as those words came out of Bray Wyatt's mouth, the audience felt it. The audience felt Bray Wyatt standing toe-to-toe with one of the best microphone operators in the history of sports entertainment and taking his moment away from The Rock. The Rock made a couple cracks at, at Bray, And he said, I don't know if you thought you were gonna what what door you thought you were coming gonna come in here and knock on and make a name for yourself. And Bray said it flat out. Oh, Rock, I didn't come here to knock on a door. I came here to break one down. And I mean, if you didn't have goosebumps at that point, I don't know what was wrong with you. Of course, that's where we should have hit pause because none of that mattered. As the culmination came, The Rock tore off his athletic gear to reveal that he had tights on underneath and he defeated Eric Rowan in about eight seconds. Again, the curse of Bray Wyatt at WrestleMania, right? Later on that year, the Wyatts uh, rivaled the New Day, another trio that existed as the polar opposite of the Wyatt family and were once again separated when the annual WWE draft left members on separate rosters. Now on SmackDown, Bray sought out Randy Orton, which would go down as, I believe, the most important connection outside of the Wyatt family in all of Bray Wyatt's career. I believe if you look at Bray Wyatt as a character, Randy Orton is that character's soulmate and it's established here. Bray saw in Randy much of what he had seen in Ambrose, someone damaged, and someone that Bray could save. Bray and and Randy would compete against each other and they'd interfere in each other's matches until eventually Luke Harper would return and he would cost Randy a match against Bray. This would lead to Randy seeing things clearly. Eventually, from his perspective, Uh, And Randy would interfere in a match that Bray was having with Kane. Only this time, he did so in order to help Bray Wyatt. Randy joined Harper and Wyatt, and together, they formed a third incarnation of the Wyatt family. Orton in the Wyatt family was very different. There was a joke that when Daniel Bryan joined, it was mainly because he had a beard. Randy did not change his physical appearance at all. And the venomous, viper-like behavior that we saw out of Randy was a side of him that we had seen before, just maybe not quite this amplified. It actually made sense. And for many, breathed new life into not only the Wyatts, but probably into Randy Orton too. While maybe not as vocal, Randy had historically wanted to destroy legacies end legends, lead followers, and act out of resentment and hatred. It was like this whole time the Wyatt family had been looking for a member and Randy Orton had been hiding in plain sight. While Orton's trustworthiness was always in question, you know, that whole thing about why'd you sting me? Oh, because I'm a scorpion. What'd you think I was going to do? There was a, a, a similarity within the Wyatt and Orton philosophies that just worked. Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton would end up winning the SmackDown Tag Team Championship, and they'd hold on to it for about a month. Uh, Unfortunately, at that point, the Wyatt family lost the Tag Team Championship, but it was Luke Harper, not Bray Wyatt, that was Randy's tag team partner at the time. They were utilizing the Freebird rule. Because of that loss, this animosity started building between Luke Harper and Randy Orton and when push came to stu- when push came to shove instead of taking the side of his career long companion bray wyatt turned on harper and sided with randy orton randy orton and bray wyatt worked together in the 2017 royal rumble which orton would go on to win and what was a moment that all of us dismayed by bray's poor wrestlemania showings had been waiting for a month later at the elimination chamber It finally happened for Bray Wyatt. In a match that also involved John Cena, The Miz, AJ Styles, Baron Corbin, and Dean Ambrose, Bray Wyatt won the Elimination Chamber match. Bray Wyatt became the WWE Champion. Even here, Bray was still referencing Sister Abigail as the prophetic force behind everything that he knew. Especially the night after Elimination Chamber, it became impossible to not have fans cheer the eater of worlds as he announced that at long last, he actually did have the whole world in his hands. This was someone that we fans had been waiting years to see get what we thought he deserved. It had gotten to the point where many thought that it wouldn't happen. But now the WWE Championship was around the waist of Bray Wyatt. Of course, anybody watching knows this presented an option of Royal Rumble winner Randy Orton selecting the new WWE Champion Bray Wyatt, his best bud, as his WrestleMania uh, uh, opponent. Randy, however, pledged that that would not happen and that he would remain loyal to Bray Wyatt. Don't worry about it, Bray. Of course, we all know Randy Orton That was a lie. Not only did Randy decide on Bray as his WrestleMania opponent, but in order to let Bray know that he had selected him, he didn't just point to the WrestleMania sign. He set fire to the Wyatt family compound, which was perched directly on top of the grave of Sister Abigail. And Randy Orton pointed that out. He was burning the compound and what was left of the soul of Sister Abigail. This was one of the rare times that we actually saw Bray Wyatt vulnerable. One of the rare times that he let his guard down and allowed himself to be betrayed. It was also confirmation that Sister Abigail was indeed dead and not another member of the Wyatt family that we were waiting to see debut, theoretically, of course. The WrestleMania curse of Bray Wyatt rolled on. As at WrestleMania 34, Bray would lose the WWE Championship to Randy Orton in a match that most remember for the disturbing images that were projected onto the mat during the match. I mean, while it was an interesting effect, most fans wondered why some of the strongest among us, professional wrestlers, would be afraid of very obvious 2D projection. The images weren't even life-sized. They were incredibly enlarged. I mean, there's no way if you were laying on the canvas and you looked at it, you'd even know what the picture is. Regardless, Bray received a rematch against Randy, which he won. However, it was a non-title match due to Bray being moved to the Raw brand after WrestleMania, but before this match. The two competed in a House of Horrors match, which was interesting at a time when cinematic matches weren't quite the norm as it took place in like a, a creepy old house but it's generally generally it's remembered for the ending coming back to the arena that the pay-per-view took place in after a car ride and Jinder Mahal getting all involved with the interference and kind of making people forget that we were just having a crazy-ass time in a haunted house a minute ago. Uh, but regardless, Bray would now leave SmackDown and head over to Raw and come directly for Seth Rollins, who at the time was literally the cover boy for WWE's video game, and the good guy hero to the Monday Night Raw audience. Bray resented Seth for his dependence on the audience. After successfully getting through Seth Rollins, Bray focused on Finn Balor. Balor at the time was of course the ordinary man who can do extraordinary things. What Bray hated was what Balor gave to the audience. Bray hated that the audience watched Balor and believed that they too could be extraordinary. Bray looked to show the audience that Balor was just as vulnerable to the eater of worlds as all of they are. The match was set for SummerSlam and in a battle of two of the most compelling pure characters in wrestling at the time, Bray Wyatt faced Finn Balor's alter ego, the Demon King, Armed with the paint and more specifically the attitude and aggression of the demon King, Finn Balor was able to defeat Bray Wyatt. After losing to Balor a second time, Wyatt threatened to summon sister Abigail for their third match. Yes, I know. Didn't you just say she was dead? That's why he's got to summon her spirit. A promo saw Bray morphing into like a a black veiled demonic spirit with a feminine voice, at least you'd think it was Bray Wyatt it's still kind of look like his face, but it was very hard to see the graphics for the match appeared to hype up a contest that would see Finn Balor once again taking on the Demon King persona, only this time orange and black, against Bray Wyatt, who would be taking on the persona of Sister Abigail as people scratched their heads trying to figure out what this match would actually look like we unfortunately never got to see it the day before the match was canceled at the la- uh, due to illness. Later that year, in a battle of the bizarre, Bray Wyatt would take issue with Woken Matt Hardy. The odd, time-traveling, reincarnating, Woken character had rejuvenated Matt Hardy's career in the eyes of the audience. Bray, however, saw no humor or fun in it. Instead, Bray saw it as a lie. He saw Matt as putting on a show to cover up his own failures and insecurities. It became Bray's mission to burn Woken Matt and his followers to the ground. Fans got behind the absurdity of things like a laugh-off between the two characters and allowed Matt and Bray to expand the levels of, of storytelling and suspension of disbelief traditionally allowed in professional wrestling. The Matt and Bray story culminated in an ultimate deletion match, a cinematic match that took place on the Hardy compound. The match involved Vanguard One, Matt's holographically capable drone, a piano score, a riding lawnmower, and of course, a dilapidated boat. The match ended when Bray Wyatt was indeed deleted when Matt threw Bray into the Lake of Reincarnation. Bray disappeared for a while, but he would indeed be reincarnated. While physically looking the same, Bray showed up at WrestleMania that year to help Matt Hardy win the Andre the Giant Memorial Battle Royal. The two would team up to become the leaders of worlds. Bray would lean into the absurdity of himself that was being brought out by Matt. And for the first time in his career, enjoy and encourage the audience to cheer. Matt and Bray would become the Raw Tag Team Champions, holding those titles for a few months before losing them. Matt Hardy would go down with an injury after that and Bray would disappear for a period of time. In fact, it would be nine months before vignettes started playing on WWE TV with various creepy puppets in them. Eventually, it would be revealed to be Bray Wyatt now with his hair pulled back and blonde, wearing tight red sweaters and collared shirts, on the set of what looked to be a children's television show from the 1970s or 80s called The Firefly Funhouse. Firefly, of course, being a reference to how Bray referred to the people in the audience that followed him and the lights that lit when he would make his entrance. Bray was joined by, puffer, pu- bu- Bray was joined by puppets, all references To what some thought were simply parts of his personality, but what I believe are things that he perceives to be his weaknesses, hence the aggression that he would sometimes show those puppets. Mercy the Buzzard, a reference to Waylon Mercy, a character many thought the first incarnation of Bray Wyatt was derivative of, who Bray has certainly cited as being influential. Huskus the Pig Boy is not only a reference to the character Bray originally played in WWE, Husky Harris, but to his own weight that has been made reference to specifically when he was playing Husky Harris, but even in instances like with The Rock at WrestleMania 32. Ramblin' Rabbit is a reference to Bray's long and rambling promos, which some detractors have been critical of. And Abby the Witch is, of course, Sister Abigail, who could be there simply as a reference to Abigail or as a reference to the fact that the Abigail story never really panned out. Or both. Later, the boss would be added as a puppet. You know, I don't think that we really have to search to figure out what that was inspired by. Vince McMahon, who could be viewed as an obstacle of Bray's creativity and or a source of insecurity as bosses so often are. This version of Bray was much more meta, referencing so much that went beyond the original character. While more referential to real life, it also felt like it came from a more supernatural place. It was also far more sinister and at times demonic and way more uh, conspiratorial than Bray had ever been with references to the Illuminati and the Reptilians and things like that. Bray spoke with a childlike glee inside the funhouse and only existed in these pre-produced pieces. He was self-deprecating, destroying photos and cutouts of his former self. He also appeared to be far more lean and muscular than he had before. Eventually, he began speaking of another being, one who wasn't as whimsical as Bray, one who fed on fear and pain. Gone with Follow the buzzards to make room for Bray's new signature. Let him in. We eventually saw Bray's new creation in the funhouse, The Fiend. Blonde dreadlocks draped down, a face covered by a tight, painful looking horrific mask. The sweater was replaced with a black tank top and a black leather jacket, along with striped pants, black boots and huge tattoos now visible all over his upper body. The Fiend eventually did show up on Raw, attacking Finn Balor, who Bray previously couldn't best, leading to a match at SummerSlam, which saw The Fiend easily defeat Balor to the point that Balor disappeared from WWE's main roster. Of course, this was the same SummerSlam that Balor, under his alter ego, had defeated Bray. After showing up and taking out several Hall of Famers, The Fiend attacked WWE Universal Champion Seth Rollins. Still the beloved good guy, Bray had once loathed. This new Bray via the Funhouse warned Seth that The Fiend never forgets, clearly referencing their previous rivalry. The two went to hell in a cell to face off the Universal Championship. Although it wouldn't be Bray, it would indeed be The Fiend. With an arena covered in red light, The Fiend was unstoppable. Every conceivable bit of offense that Seth could muster had little to no effect. The Fiend was not a wrestling villain. The Fiend was a horror movie monster. This explains, by the way, the love for The Fiend. While yes, The Fiend is a villain, quote-unquote heel, he is not a traditional villain. In Friday the 13th, Jason Voorhees is the villain. But he's the one you want to see. He's the reason they keep making sequels. He's the character you love. Same with Freddy. Same with Michael Myers. Same with Jigsaw. The Fiend is a horror movie villain. He's a villain in every sense of the word. But you never want to see him lose. Upon realizing what was in front of him, Seth forgot he was in a wrestling match. He completely lost his mind. He found every weapon imaginable and just started smashing and piling them onto The Fiend in a highly controversial move and one that most fans disagreed with. The referee, for the first time in the history of Hell in a Cell, ended the Hell in a Cell match by referee's decision in order to stop Seth Rollins from caving The Fiend's head in with a sledgehammer. Of course, a few seconds after the match was stopped, the Fiend stood up as if no damage whatsoever had been done. The Fiend would end up getting a Falls Count Anywhere rematch against Seth Rollins, where all of the fans that were so upset about Hell in a Cell finally had something pay off for them. The Fiend won the WWE Universal title. Now, Bray Wyatt had been drafted to SmackDown slightly before... The pay-per-view. So, The Fiend took Seth Rollins' title with him as he went over to SmackDown. The Firefly Funhouse moved with them as well, where, Dre, where, where Bray had the Universal Championship. But anytime we saw The Fiend, he had his own personalized Universal title with his masked face stretched out across the front. Seth would never be the same back on Raw. But in keeping with never forgetting, The Fiend began going after a man who at one point was in the Wyatt family, Daniel Bryan. The Fiend first beat Daniel Bryan, then tore the hair he had become known for out of Bryan's own skull. Bryan disappeared, and while he was gone, Bray Wyatt came out of the funhouse to have a match as Bray against Daniel Bryan's greatest rival, The Miz. In what seemed to be an effort to get even closer to Daniel Bryan, Bray, after terrorizing the Miz's family for sport, beat the Miz. Daniel Bryan returned after their match, hair shaved down, to get revenge on Bray, and he was able to. However, after Bryan got his revenge on Bray, the Fiend did show up once more, and he defeated Daniel Bryan at the Royal Rumble. The same event where Bray Wyatt defeated Daniel Bryan all those years earlier. After the Royal Rumble, Goldberg returned to challenge The Fiend for his Universal Championship. This seemed right up Bray's alley as Goldberg's legacy is one that even Bray Wyatt, the eater of worlds, would have loved to have destroyed. However, Goldberg was able to defeat The Fiend and take the championship at Super Showdown. The Fiend, however, jumped up quickly after the pin simply to stare Goldberg down. As Goldberg moved on, so did The Fiend. In one of the last SmackDowns that audiences were allowed to be in attendance for, John Cena showed up to announce that he would not be participating in WrestleMania this year. On his way out, The Fiend showed up at the entrance The first SmackDown removed from Super Showdown and simply pointed at the WrestleMania sign to which John Cena turned to The Fiend and nodded. On the road to WrestleMania, Bray reminded John of their history together, of what John had done to Bray, stalling his career, taking his moment, taking his momentum, not allowing WrestleMania 30 to be Bray's time. Meanwhile, John let Bray know. The only reason all of that happened is because Bray wasn't ready. It wasn't up to John to give Bray that moment. It was up to Bray to take that moment. And Bray was not able to do it. It was Bray's shortcomings that stopped Bray from succeeding, not John Cena. What took place at WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania to take place uh, without an audience or without a live audience, I should say, was a cinematic match, the Firefly Funhouse. Now, I have done an entire diatribe on the Firefly Funhouse. I spent 45 minutes just breaking down that match by itself. If you look it up on YouTube, Sam Roberts Firefly Funhouse match, I'm sure you can find it. But it, to me, is an absolute storytelling masterpiece. John was transported from his entrance into the Firefly Funhouse. What he got, instead of it being about Bray's shortcomings, was Bray infecting the mind of John Cena, taking John through all of John's shortcomings, his failures, his insecurities, the opportunities that John Cena missed, maybe because he was too scared. The match ended with The Fiend ending John Cena in one of the best storytelling matches of the era. It was also the first truly successful moment for Bray Wyatt at a WrestleMania as The Fiend, for all intents and purposes, at least then, destroyed John Cena. As well at WrestleMania, former Wyatt family member Braun Strowman defeated Goldberg to win the Universal Championship. This led to Bray trying to remind Braun of their history and try to get into his head, bringing out the black sheet mask, trying to take Braun out of being a main event solo star, and to once again see Bray as his leader, presumably so that Bray may more easily beat him and become champion himself once again. Bray faced Braun as his Firefly Funhouse self to no success. After disappearing for a bit, Bray came back. Admitting that the loss to Braun Strowman had affected him. And because of that, Bray had dug up something from the past. Bray had brought the dead back to life. Bray brought back the Eater of Worlds. We were reacquainted after all this time with Eater of Worlds, Bray Wyatt, who once that version of Bray Wyatt came back, we could see it affected. Braun Strowman. Braun Strowman didn't see that one coming. Bray did everything he could once he knew that he had Braun Strowman vulnerable. Drawing from their past, he challenged him to a swamp fight at the horror show at Extreme Rules, presumably on the grounds of the old Wyatt family compound. Now, during the swamp fight, Alexa Bliss appeared to Braun Strowman draped in a black veil and hood, acting as a distraction. At the time, it wasn't clear if this was actually Alexa or an apparition that was created by Bray. Alexa's connection to Braun tied all the way back to the Mixed Match Challenge and the on-screen and social media affection that Braun had for Alexa when they were whatever they were, Team Little Big or Big Little or I don't know. It also left a lot of fans drawing a connection to Sister Abigail as the veil that Alexa was wearing was very similar to the one that Bray wore in the one promo where he said he was going to resurrect the spirit of Sister Abigail. The Alexa pairing would end up being a pivotal, albeit final, chapter in The Fiend's character story. On the way to SummerSlam, The Fiend, oh, by the way, Bray Wyatt, ended up winning this uh, the the, the Swamp match, although it was non-title. And of course, now that we've seen the Eater of Worlds and now that we've seen Firefly Funhouse Bray, there's only one person left that you can draw out who's going to be able to win the Universal Championship from Braun Strowman. So on the way to SummerSlam, The Fiend would begin making appearances attacking Alexa Bliss on SmackDown in an effort to taunt Braun Strowman, who would be defending the Universal Championship against The Fiend at SummerSlam. Before they got to SummerSlam, the stressors and confusion got to Braun so much that he would end up picking Alexa Bliss up for a Gorilla Press Slam. The Fiend would go to SummerSlam and he would defeat Braun Strowman to once again become the WWE Universal Champion. However, immediately following the victory, both The Fiend and Braun Strowman were attacked by Roman Reigns, who, once he revealed an association with Paul Heyman, would win the Universal Championship in a triple threat match one week later when Roman Reigns pinned Braun Strowman. Now, we all thought this was setting up for a, Roman Reigns' fiend match eventually, however, the draft got in the way of that again. While all this was going on, Bliss's behavior started changing. She added a single Wyatt-like dreadlock to her hair one week and two the next. Her makeup evolved to be darker. She started trailing off during promos, looking vacantly into the distance, and eventually adopted the sister Abigail as her finisher. The culmination would come after about two months when Alexa would join The Fiend after he attacked Kevin Owens. Alexa and The Fiend at that point were drafted to Monday Night Raw, separating The Fiend and Roman Reigns. After showing up on Raw, however, Bray and Bliss immediately went after Bray's wrestling soulmate, at that time newly crowned WWE champion, Randy Orton. First, inviting him onto a moment of bliss, then stalking him through interference and vignettes, the fiend popping up whenever the fiend could get an opportunity. A lot of these vignettes included references to their House of Horrors-era rivalry, including references to burning down Abigail's grave and even the symbol that Bray attacked Randy with all those years ago. The fiend would have a firefly- Funhouse Inferno match with Randy, a match that took full advantage of the theatrics that WWE's Thunderdome was capable of. At one point, leaving a prone Randy Orton in a family-era Bray Wyatt rocking chair, soaking it with gasoline and unsuccessfully trying to light the champion ablaze while laying dormant. The match would end, however, with The Fiend, seemingly unconscious, in the middle of the ring, and Randy soaking him with said gasoline, then using matches to burn the Fiend to a crisp from head to toe. Alexa spent the next few months warning of the Fiend's rebirth, developing Alexa's playhouse to take the place of a moment of bliss, finding herself in rooms with pentagrams and other far more demonic symbolisms than what we were used to. Alexa at one point launched a fireball into Randy Orton's face, allowing him to feel a fraction of what The Fiend felt. Randy recovered, but new symptoms developed. Stomach pains and vomiting, oily black substances in the middle of promos haunted Randy Orton. At Fastlane, in a match that was advertised as Alexa Bliss versus Randy Orton, a new version of The Fiend would appear. Charred, burned, and warped looking like he had literally spent the last three months in hell, The Fiend tore through the ring canvas, coming from below, to show the world that he was back. Randy Orton versus The Fiend was announced for WrestleMania. We saw no more Bray Wyatt. And when we did see the new charred Fiend, he seemed impervious to things like the RKO. Threatening to kill the Legend Killer During his entrance, The Fiend morphed into one that far more closely resembled The Fiend of old and was revealed out of a giant jack-in-the-box by Alexa Bliss. After seven minutes or so of serious offense, Randy Orton was set to receive a Sister Abigail from The Fiend before flames shot out from the corner posts and Alexa was sitting on top of the -the jack-in-the-box with black oil pouring out of the crown that she was wearing, dripping down onto her face. The Fiend stopped and stood there, hypnotized, reaching for Alexa, which led Randy to hitting the RKO and pinning the Fiend. Randy Orton won that match, and the Fiend got up, seemingly confused as to what had just happened. Alexa Bliss looked satisfied. The lights went out, and when the lights came back on, both Alexa and The Fiend were gone. This would be Bray Wyatt's last WWE match. The next night on Raw, Bray was in the Firefly Funhouse again. He was talking about resurrection. He was saying goodbye for now. But this time, the version of Bray that we got was far more gospel-infused, almost like an old-school pastor kind of foreshadowing that maybe there would be a a, a religious connotation to the Bray Wyatt that we would see return. Maybe, based on what we saw from the Firefly Funhouse, the new Bray Wyatt would be more like a televangelist or something like that. Unfortunately, we'll never know. Because while Alexa Bliss's character continued to develop and, and the theme music has now changed and 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 references to the fiend have have basically gone away. Bray Wyatt, it was announced, has been released from the WWE. So as of today, that's the story of Bray Wyatt. Now you'll have to forgive me, I did read a lot of that. I spent a lot of time writing it. You'll have to a lot of it was bullet pointed. Not every single detail is in there. Maybe some of the stuff I got confused or got wrong, I'm human. It's just me. I don't have a team. I mean, I got hot dog, but when you got hot dog, you don't have a team. Let's be honest. So, I mean, yeah. Hopefully, we'll see something from Bray Wyatt soon. Obviously, I'm fond of the character, and I'm fond of the man. And I think that uh, he contributes a hell of a lot to pro wrestling. Let me know what you thought about all that, if I got anything wrong or if I got anything right. My email is notsamwrestling at gmail.com. Don't forget to join us on Patreon, patreon.com slash notsamwrestling. And we will see you next week right here on, yeah, not Sam Wrestling.
1: Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, This has been Not Sam Wrestling.